0: Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 191. And welcome to October. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, Now is a time to stay vigilant. Here is the 1-1. Swung on. There it goes. Deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Number 62 to set the new American League record. Aaron Judge hits his 62nd. All the Yankees out of the dugout to greet him. Just think of it. Three Yankee right fielders. The Babe hitting 60 and 27. The Jolly Roger hitting 61 and 61. And now Aaron Judge hits his 62nd home run. The most home runs any American leaguer has hit in a single season. And the American League has been alive for 120 years. This is Judgment Day. Case closed. That's the great John Sterling, 82-year-old, legendary Yankee broadcaster with the call, as Aaron Judge broke Roger Maris's American League single-season record for home runs. And unless you count the three cheaters who use steroids, Judge now has hit more home runs in one season than anyone in history. Judge did it. He destroyed the competition. He made history. He dropped bombs, and he did it the right way. He didn't cheat. He wasn't a jerk. He did it by the rules, and he beat everyone else in history, just like the people of Ukraine. They're inspiring the world. They're fighting like hell. They're not committing war crimes. They're treating prisoners of war in abidance with the Geneva Convention. They're kicking ass, and they're doing something we've never seen done before in history. And while Aaron Judge is dropping baseball bombs nightly, and will continue to do so in the playoffs and maybe all the way into the World Series, the people of Ukraine are dropping bombs for real. And enduring bombs, relentless shelling, artillery strikes, missile strikes, war crimes, bomb after bomb after bomb continues to pound the people of Ukraine. But they just keep coming. They just keep fighting. They just keep improvising, adapting, and overcoming. They just keep inspiring. They just keep winning. And like Aaron Judge, they just keep dropping bombs.
1: Bomb me, bomb
0: bomb bomb and in this episode, we're going to continue to drop content bombs with our reigning home run champion of national security and modern warfare a five-time returning champion six with this appearance he's our leadoff hitter our cleanup hitter our ace pitcher our play-by-play and our color guy he's the clutch hitter the utility infielder and most of all especially when it comes to the war in ukraine he's our mvp He was with us in episode 13, then in episode 81, then in episode 94, then in episode 104, and then in episode 158 this past March. Many of you have asked when he'd be back. And after spending most of the last six months on the battlefields of Ukraine, he's here, back on Independent Americans for an exclusive conversation recorded from a secure site inside Ukraine fresh off the front lines of the battlefields with the International Legion of Ukraine. The group created by Ukrainian President Zelensky made up of foreigners who were willing to join the resistance to the Russian invaders and protect global security. Those are the people that are serving in this special Ukrainian military unit. He's our favorite terrorism expert, a decorated military veteran, an astute analyst, a truth teller. A TV terrorism analyst, a New York Times best-selling author, a retired Navy Master Chief who served as a specialist in Navy cryptology. He was involved in counterterrorism, intelligence, and combat operations around the world, and served as an instructor in Seer School, Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape School. He's the one and only Malcolm Nance, and he is back to drop bombs. You took a
1: bomb on me, baby.
0: Bombs of all kinds are dropping and popping all around the world right now. Here in the U.S., the southern states continue to recover after the massive hit from Hurricane Ian. Inside Russia, protests continue to bubble up and people continue to flee. In Iran, brave protesters, mostly women, continue to stand up, face torture, imprisonment, and death. They're burning their hijabs, they're cutting their hair, and they're protesting in the name of freedom against the oppressive regime that's held them down for far too long. And those protests are setting off political bombs all around the world. Protesters have gathered to echo this message in cities around the world, in solidarity with the women of Iran. This all erupted since the death of 22-year-old Masa Amini, who was detained by the country's so-called morality police and murdered. The cry now is women, life, freedom. That's the call that's being heard from Istanbul to Washington, D.C., to Los Angeles, to London, to Paris, all the way to Kabul, Afghanistan, where women and men there continue to endure the misery and unimaginable horrors of living under the Taliban. Listen to this. that's the sounds of the taliban openly torturing humiliating and beating a man right out in the open whipping and slashing the tied bottoms of his feet This is who the Taliban really are. American bombs have stopped dropping over there, but the crimes and brutality hasn't. The Taliban are cowards and criminals, and we can't look away. And as bombs continue to blow up and drop all around the world, we can't let Afghanistan become Farkadistan. As you've heard on this show, the fight continues to save our allies and pass the Afghan Adjustment Act. And the Afghan Adjustment Act Firewatch continues. You heard about it on this show with Matt Zeller in episode 189. And you heard from scores of brave Afghans who were camped out there in Washington, outside the Capitol. Now they're taking it on the road. They're rolling across the country, taking the Firewatch all across America during the October congressional recess, pushing the issue on elected officials in their home districts in Colorado, in Texas, and in states all across America. So shout outs to all the sluggers there that are continuing to blast away and to activist James Powers, who continues to lead the Firewatch city to city, town to town, bringing blast after blast of righteous activism. The explosions of voices continue around the world. But just when you thought you'd had enough, North Korea wanted to remind the world that they're still around to drop bombs too. Last week, North Korea fired two short-range ballistic missiles into the waters off the east coast of the Korean Peninsula. You maybe didn't even hear about it. And just in case our last episode with Joe Serencione about Putin's nukes didn't scare you enough this Halloween month, like Jason Voorhees on Friday the 13th, North Korea just keeps coming back time after time to remind the world they're pretty damn scary too. But the national security bombs keep going off in such high numbers that more likely than not, you didn't even see that while all this was happening, there was another military coup in Burkina Faso. Last week in Burkina Faso, soldiers announced the overthrow of the military government, and it was the country's second coup in a year. This time, 34-year-old Army Captain Ibrahim Traor took charge, dissolved the government, and suspended the Constitution. And now a new group of military officers decided to remove the last one to deal with an armed uprising in the country that continues to get worse and worse over the last nine months. So from Iran to Kabul to North Korea to Burkina Faso to Washington, D.C., bombs of all kinds are going off around the world. Political, social, economic, environmental. And this October, stakes is high. High! While all the bombs are going off, here at home, in the U.S., maybe when we need them the most, the Army caught a bomb of its own. They're missing their recruiting goal by 15,000 people, making this the worst year on record for the Army since the service has switched to the all-volunteer force nearly 50 years ago. The Army is going to miss their target by 25%. Now, some blame the economy, Some blame mandatory COVID vaccines. Some blame it on the lack of physical fitness among young people. But this bomb may be one that had a much longer fuse. I think it's all that, but I also think it's something deeper. Young people don't feel a love for this country like generations before. And maybe even more so, the military is no longer as trusted as it used to be. And that's a bomb. That was lit by the one and only President Mayhem before, during, and after his time as Commander in Chief. The long term damage Trump did to our civil military divide is greater than any other president in history. And it's one of the most damaging and underreported elements of his disastrous presidency. And just like almost every day of the Trump presidency, the political bombs continue to explode around candidates like Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania and the amazing disgrace that is Herschel Walker running for Senate in Georgia. But one political bomb that's looking more like a dud continues to be the Forward Party. And as I've said before, I hope I'm wrong. And if you haven't already, check out our recent episode 188 with former New Jersey GOP Governor Christy Todd Whitman, who's now a co-founder of the Forward Party. And this week, Andrew Yang, one of the other Forward Party co-founders, tweeted, Forward party endorsements are coming next week. Get your walking shoes ready and clear your weekends. Weekday's all right, too. So, endorsements are coming from the forward party. Endorsements before the establishment of a party platform. It seems out of order to me, but not surprising. And if they're not endorsing Evan McMullen in Utah, who also has been a guest on this show, they're missing the single most important race for independent Americans this year. Now, I'd love to ask Andrew Yang about it on my show. Unfortunately, we're going to have to wait till November. November 30th is the date that his team has given me. So we'll have to wait until then. As one of our listeners noted on Twitter, the guy who goes by the handle TheAntho815 in Illinois noted, Andrew Yang was on the New York Times The Argument podcast that came out today. Why is he putting off doing independent Americans podcast? Dude, I wonder the same thing, but I have no answer. But I do have a hell of a conversation for you now. Malcolm Nance ain't afraid of this show. Malcolm Nance ain't afraid of Russian bullets. Malcolm Nance ain't afraid of Russian bombs. And he is back to break it down. Other shows focus on what's happening. On this show, we are always gonna focus on what's next. I wanna be the Tony Romo of politics and national security. I wanna use my experience to tell you what I see and what you should look for and what might happen next. I haven't always been right, but I'm right pretty damn often and definitely more than most, but not more than Malcolm. Malcolm Nance has been better than just about everyone. He's a precision guided JDAM of predictions. A JDAM, if you don't know, is a joint direct attack munition. It's a guidance tail kit that converts an existing unguided free fall bomb into an accurate adverse weather smart bomb. That's what Malcolm is a guidance system that can make anyone who listens to him smarter, more precise, more accurate, and more vigilant. The Bombay doors are open and we've got incoming. Welcome to a look inside the real front lines of the fight in Ukraine. Welcome to a powerful blast of the five eyes, independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and most of all, impact. Welcome to the fight. Welcome to Independent Americans. Episode 191. independent Americans around the country, around the world, and especially inside Ukraine. Uh, this is a moment we've been waiting for. Uh, a, a returning champion is back to join us, one of the most popular guests of all time, one of our most frequent guests of all time, and one of the most timely guests every time. The great and powerful Malcolm Nance, aka Nostradamus, returns to independent Americans. Welcome back, my friend. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Wow. It's, it actually has been a while, hasn't it? The last time you were either. here, the last time you were here well, on the show here was March. I looked at it. It was March 4th.
1: I can't remember anything.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, this has been a pretty long war.
1: Uh, <laughs> so let me see. March. That was like last year. right? No, it was some time ago. But you had, uh, you
0: had just come back from Ukraine and you were kind of. Yeah, yeah I was going to join the Legion. You were doing what Malcolm does, which is kind of tell us what was coming without telling us what was coming. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's really good to see you, man. It's really good to see you. It's good to see you alive. It's good to see you well. We got a lot to talk about over the, you know, the war so far and the war to come. You are very much deep in it more than ever before. But let me start with a question that I ask of everyone that's maybe more important now than ever before. Where are you, Malcolm. And how are you?
1: Well, I'm in a secure facility in Ukraine. (laughs) So uh, I'm I'm doing very well. I'm off the line. I'm off the front line um, where I've been for since June, almost full time. And I know I, I came back to the States for like 12 days to do a book tour that I had to do contractually. And I've been on the line ever since. And then I was on the front pointy 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 end of the line and then beyond the line so um but now i'm i'm back we're going through a training and uh rearm regroup uh refuel refresh evolution as you know people cannot stay in near around active combat all the time so uh even these hardcore guys that uh we're with here you know they they've got to go take leave they've got to do family matters and you know, and, uh, they've just got to take a mental health break.
0: Mm. Your perspective is so unique and so valuable. And I want to get into all of it. Um, you know, when, when you say you're well, you haven't been wounded, you're alive. Oh, you know, you got, yeah. <laughs> it's not for right. lack of trying, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm telling you yeah, the they, you know, the Russians, they've got this thing. So, uh, you know but uh i've been i've been blessed you know i've got guardian angels and uh you know we we haven't been as fortunate in the legion battalions uh we've recently taken several casualties we we just had three who passed on a, in a, on a single instance so you know this is a war and i want people to understand that you know if people watch television and they think that they're going to get entertained and for every day of those Russian statistics, there's hundreds and hundreds of Ukrainian men, women and children who are dying in this war. And, you know, people say they get war weary really quick. Well, look, you, you gotta, you've got an option. These people here don't care. These people here have no option. You know, they would like to have, uh, you know, their reporters standing in the middle of hurricanes, right, getting
0: hit by tree branches rather than being killed out on the battlefield. That perspective is so, so important. Um, I want to talk about the Legion, which you have been instrumental in, in fueling and creating. You kind of tipped it a bit last time you were on the show. But take us to for folks that are, that are outside of this, that have been watching hurricanes, that are watching Aaron Judge, right, or maybe watching snippets or, or pieces of this. What is the front lines like? Can you explain what the front lines are like in 2022 in this in this war for Ukraine's survival?
1: Well, you know, I'm not going to reveal any trade secrets. I'm certainly not going to reveal anything that's operational security. So for those of you who are just dying, waiting with a pen, um, that's not going to happen. Um, and you've seen it there, it, but you cannot see the dimension of it when you watch it through a television screen. It's like watching Through a postage stamp, Um, the areas that we occupy now or we have reoccupied the territory we've liberated. And let me tell you something. There is nothing more satisfying than actually liberating people who were oppressed and, uh, you know, were threatened with death every day, whose homes were being looted. uh, Women and children were being raped. Uh, that's real. This is not something people make up for propaganda. You don't have to make it up. The Russians have said it themselves. We have audio recordings of, you know, women saying you can rape women, just wear a condom. Um, this is a it's a really horrific war. And because the level of intensity of this war is not being bought to you on a minute to minute scale like it was at times it you know, the off to Desert Storm or you know it, we're we're sort of more like afghanistan 2007 <laughs> where people couldn't mm. even remember we were in the war and occasionally you get casualty reports but for those who are fighting and living in it it's a very horrible thing but ukraine is a unique country i mean it's a it's a beautiful country it's a i when i was here in the pre-war i kept thinking how is this not a tourist paradise i mean it's just really you know lakes and rivers and you know, old babushkas that can curse you or bless you, you know, depending on what you do to them, all these things. And then we find that the line is really the, you know, just an area of control that extends from where Russia's furthest artillery can reach, which is the rear, uh, you know, usually about 40 kilometers of so somewhere around 25 miles, and then going deeper in. So, you know, you have uh, sort of a, a rear that gets hit from time to time. The city of Kharkiv, where we are, it was surrounded on three sides earlier mm. this year. Mm. And the Russians were going to take it. But it's a city of a million people. And the Russians calculated that, well, these people are, speak Russian, not Ukrainian. Therefore, they're going to side with us. Well, when you bombard someone's house... They're not going to side with you. These are the most rabid, loyal Ukrainians. They just happen to speak Russian dialect uh, instead of Ukrainian dialect. And so you have these urban areas, which were multi, you know, 20 store and apartment complexes and dachas and little food plots and small villages along beautiful rivers and lakes. And you go to them. Rigged out, right? You got your full battle rattle, you got a helmet, armor, everything, you know, you know, we, oh, by the way, let me tell you about the level of intensity of combat here. We don't carry the regular combat load, right? Which is, you know, six mags for, for the most part, minimum of 10 magazines, minimum. Um, There's no combat resupply, a drone dog isn't going (laughs) to march up and drop off two cans of ammo, right? We have to hump that ourselves. And we hump a lot of ammo. Um, I was the leader of of a what we call a Delta unit, a combat support element. That's drones, mortars, logistics, and intelligence, field intelligence. And we're the last squad. In the you know in the squadron the little element you know platoon level special forces element that we're in but we're also the tail gunners right mm. I try mm. turning around and sweeping your rear when you got two cans of heavy machine gun ammo that's your responsibility you have your own weapon uh, you have massive amount of ammunition uh, it's very you know people don't understand how hot combat is. Mm. All right. It's hot. I drip. I have to wear a do-rag just to keep the water out of my face. Uh, you go through your Camelback, drink all of your water in an instant. you know, finding water bottles and, and, and hoarding water. We have to bring that with us too. So all of these things, but I'm wearing all this stuff. And then I go through this beautiful little village mm. and you're like, oh, this is really cute. It's got hedges and it's like, you know, uh, we some of the places we refer to as Hobbiton, right? It, it's like the Shire. You're like, oh, this is beautiful. Look at how these flowers they planted and they have all these hedges. And then you look, you, you realize the whole village is abandoned. Every window is shattered. Half these buildings are on fire. And they got this grid, right? They know where we are. Mm-hmm. Russian artillery has that because that's why the buildings are on fire and you're like, okay, this isn't fun anymore. And now you're moving with purpose. And the purpose is to see, is there an ambush team there? Have IEDs, improvised explosive devices been left for you? Uh or is anybody you know, or if you're going to link up with somebody, do they have wounded? Do they have food? Do they have water? We generally, have, we're, food is not something you're thinking about most of the time till way later, like on day two, right? Um, so all of these factors are going in there and you're still thinking, wow, that's really nice curtains. These people put in this house. This house has been hit by a thermobaric rocket and it's on fire and the brick is melting. So, you know, it, it's a it's a very different world. It literally is like, you know, if the the cutest little village in the Berkshires, right, had main battle tanks and combat
0: infantry rolling through them in shootings, you know, war of the world style. (laughs) Malcolm, you're you're doing a great job of painting the picture with a writer's eye. And I think that's why your perspective is so valuable, so unique. You're one of the most high profile people in this conflict, right? You've got a global media presence. And I think that's been important to shine a light on there. And I'm sure as an asset, to the Ukrainian side, I want to ask a couple of questions about the fight that I feel like are underreported or, or misunderstood or not understood at all. Can you describe the enemy? Because I think that right now we've got this idea of the orcs, right? They're, they're being, you know, um, kind of stereotyped and that's, and, and the Ukrainians have been very effective, I think, in their, in their information warfare and the communications. But as someone who's been in direct contact with, you, you know, Iraqis and, uh, and Afghans and Iranians, you've talked about that in multiple appearances on the show. Right. Tell us about the enemy. And I know it's got various levels oh, yeah. and types, but tell us about the Russian enemy that you're fighting and what you think folks need to know. Yeah, especially, you know, since we've taken captives.
1: Right. And I uh, process yeah. uh, captives and you're like, well, let me put it this way. This is where Americans racism comes to fore. because they see different people as other. Right. Mm-hmm. The brown people and everything. And I remember the first guy that we took who was a um, from a, uh, e- e- well, I-, I won't tell you where he's from, but he was Russian. And my first thought was, this guy looks like the paint guy at the Walmart, right, in upstate New York. You know, this guy should be like on aisle 23 at Lowe's. And he's just a skinny, scrawny kid, right, who's got nasty pants. Okay. I'm going to tell you something very interesting about the Russians. That is true. It is not a stereotype. They are pigs. They live like pigs. I have never, wait, let me take that back. I won't say I have never, I have seen conditions like they're living in, in, in groups of people who have a complete and utter disregard for wh- who they are, where they are and their cleanliness. Let me tell you, in the modern battlefield with Muslim forces, uh, working with our Muslim allies and against uh, Muslim terrorists, they're clean. They wash five times a day. They have to do ablutions before they pray. Right. They clean out under their nails. They wash up to their elbows. If they don't have water, they will use raw sand and sand off the, you know, the upper upper deck. You know, they have cultural differences. Yes, they don't have, you know, depending on where you're at, you know, if you're out in the real field, like in some place way out in Kunar province or, you know, uh, you know, in the mountains in Abbottabad, you're going to see generally very different culture. These guys, the culture that I see here, it would be like if, and no offense, Idaho (laughs) were suddenly At war, (laughs) because it's closer to what I saw in Sarajevo when I was in Bosnia, right? As I used to say, when I was in Bosnia, um, which was interesting because we were actually looking for foreign fighters there, Iranians, Mm -hmm. Arab jihadists, things like that. I said, Bosnia is one of those places where before the war kicked off, it was white Christians that didn't go to church and white Muslims that didn't go to mosque. And they all drank Slivovitz. Right. Every Friday night, Saturday night that I'm like, what's confusing here is that I have Europeans going at each other. And that hasn't happened since 1945. Right here. That's exactly what's happening here.
0: So, Malcolm, Malcolm, is it I want to put a point on this because I think it's a really important insight. Is that due to the low quality of soldier on the Russian front line, the lack of discipline, the lack of military order? Um, or, or is it something else? But it sounds to me like you know these are the sorts of things you see in a ragtag army that's thrown together without a, s- a strong culture and a strong esprit de corps. And and as a related question, w- evaluate their fighting spirit because I think we've seen this m- almost mythical uh, uh, ethos and morale of, of the Ukrainian side. But in those folks you're in direct contact with, you've captured, you've killed. Um, Describe their their fighting spirit or their lack of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The the Russian combat. It's okay Again, these are not, you know, manufactured images and you're seeing very few Russians because the only Russians you're seeing are dead ones and you're seeing mobilized ones. And that's pretty much all there is. Right. On occasion, you'll see a civilian, you know, you'll see a captive. And we try not, the reason you don't see Russian captives is it's violation of the Geneva Convention. And the Mm -hmm. guys that are putting those videos up are like the soldiers who at the moment of capture who have their GoPros out. And that's very hard to control on the battlefield. But uh, I've now been at the point where I can evaluate the Russians um, based on their their combat skill. And there are two categories of, of Russian here. The elite forces, the VDV, who you know uh the the mercenaries uh, of PMC Wagner some of these guys have a lot of experience but they also get the best weapons okay mm-hmm. the best weapons but i have literally eaten the lunch of the vd of the vdv and the spetsnaz in one of their command posts that we took and their lunch was there right their their mres by the way are way better than the average russian soldier's <laughs> mres Hey. Different packaging, really neat. Looks like somebody went to a camping food store and mm-hmm. stuffed it. Same lame crackers, but, you know, and not enough coffee, Russia. Mm-hmm. Get on with that. But the rest of the arm, they don't. there's guys that don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. They don't know where they are, and they don't know why they're here, and they're just getting their asses handed to them. When we say the mythological fighting spirit of the Ukrainians, that isn't myth at all. Mm-hmm. These guys, okay. first, at the beginning of the war, we called it, you know, the uh, the screaming Cossack. Right. These guys were like the only way that the Ukrainians would attack was, you know, with they would twirl their mustache and swirl them, you know, the sword over their head and go screaming into battle and start lopping off heads. And they took a lot of casualties with that, 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 that strategy. But you have to understand Pre-war, I think I told you, I, I, I know I did on MSNBC, I met the top two battle commanders who are now running this war. Right. General Sierski, who, who was at that time commander of land warfare, now he is going to be stepping up possibly in General Zolusi's job as commander of the armed forces of Ukraine. And General Pavliuk, who is commander of Donetsk, a Don- Donbass area, uh, the joint forces area, who is now commander of land warfare. These guys were like swapping out jobs when one guy would get burned out. Right. Mm-hmm. Probably when took army and, and, and Sersky came down and took central front, right. Central command. And these guys, I, I said this on MSNBC, these two guys can't be beat. I saw that in February, early February before the war ever started. And I was like, Whoa, I I've never seen commanders. Like this, this is mm-hmm. patent level stuff. Like, you know, when the shooting starts, they're going to go, let's go. You mm-hmm. bought it all. Can, pa-
0: can I pause you there? Because there's so much to pull apart here, Malcolm. Yeah. And I love it when we get going, man. You can, yeah, yeah. We could make this a four-hour podcast, right? But I also know you got sleep to get and fighting oh, to do. God, yeah. but, but there was one part of, of your last show, we last appearance on this show in March. Yeah. You and I had a pretty lengthy discussion about how in March – we saw that Ukraine could win this. Not oh, just yeah. defend not just defend the cities, uh, uh, but win. Right. And now we're seeing I got trash. Situation. Yeah. I, uh, I got just, A lot of us did. A of uh, yeah, a lot of us did, right? And I think, you know, I talked to Tavis Smiley about this on his show last week. He asked me how we knew. And I said, some of us have expertise that other people don't have. And I, I want to know now, uh, it's like the third quarter, right? And this team is 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 winning. And the momentum has shifted and the whole world can see it. And I'm going to ask you, how far can they take this? Are they going to stop at the Russian border? Are they going to pursue Putin? Or where is it going to go?
1: Well, they've already stopped at the Russian border in many places. I mean, but let me, let me give you an analogy that people our age can understand this is harlem globetrotters versus the capital you know the washington center what what was the name of the the, the yeah. group that the globetrotters always played the washington know? generals maybe it's just like this is you know i don't let's let's take it for example this offensive we just did which i was on the tippy 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 spear point of uh through the grace of god and that, that video that i made which is very popular in russia this last week um the things that had moved so fast, and you'll understand this. Artillery moved up to our forward positions, and we were way ahead. And we we're like, "Why is that artillery here? They're supposed to be twenty kilometers behind us." Because objectives that were going to take days were be, were taken in hours, and the 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 Ukrainians are so skilled at understanding. That they couldn't use any of the old doctrine for this. They had been handed a series of defeats in 2014 and 2015, cost them 14,000 men uh, from 2014 to, to 2022, and they learn lessons. They study war. They work with U.S. advisors. They work with, you know, the war college in the United States. I'm sure they have their own computer, you know, mapping out the, 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 bat- the battle on the, de- the data on the battlefield. But the one factor that the Russians don't have is that these people want to fight. They are desperate to fight. They want to fight the Russians. They want to prove themselves to kick these people out of their country and cleanse them. And when you're talking about that, that's not esprit de corps. Esprit de corps is the the, the love of the organization. What we have in the Legion, why we stick together is esprit de corps. Right. But when we're on the battlefield. All right. We're going to what we're what we're showing can only be. How can I how can I describe it best? All right. Um, you know bringing it we're heart, bringing it. heart It's heart bringing does, yeah. this war to you yeah, and heart. yeah i said this tonight they enjoy it when they go on the attack oh they mm-hmm. want to be on the attack this is the old saying right they're not attacking the people in front of them who they hate they're they're attacking and they're fighting for the people behind them whom they love these mm-hmm. guys have women and children and families that are you know they don't want to see a funeral here you know uh, or or just there was a video the other day that was heartbreaking. You know, everyone knows I'm a widower. So but there was a video of women who were widows and widowers receiving medals posthumously from that, President yeah. Zelensky. And every one of them was in tears. And it was like Zelensky wasn't there. And this this medal was worthless to them, but they showed up for the love of the country. And it broke my heart because I thought I've stood there. I've stood in that moment where the world just feels empty and you don't care about anything. And the metal, you, they take the metal and they turn and they walk away. No words, you know, and Zelensky has to do that every day. Mm. You know, mm. this war is not a war where one side is just whoop, decisively whipping the other side and causing routs. The routes come from the sacrifice of the men and women who go to the tippy point, and and you know and and find that the enemy has a vote too. The enemy has mm-hmm. weapons. The artillery is what's causing all of our casualties. We mm-hmm. rarely have a gunshot casualty, but they occur depending on where that, you. That's are important for
0: people to hear too. I mean, that that shapes the the, the picture of the battlefield, Malcolm. You know you were an early, I don't, I don't, like a, like we you guys in the Navy probably call it plank owner of yeah. the Legion, right? When, when this first got stood up, um, Zelensky first issued the call to international uh, veterans to join the fight. Um, you were, you know, texting me behind the scenes. We had another guest on here, Seth Harp, who said, hey, it's not really real. And you Yeah, know, it doesn't you, exist, right? Right, right. And, and I said, <laughs> well, you know, I'm getting conflicting information about that. But it was in the works. And now we've seen it. Two Americans... We know we're captured and have recently been released after being sounds like yeah. tortured and held for over 100 days. Um, can you give us what, what's your no shit uh, analysis of the Legion? What, what, how, it, how, it, how effective it's been, what it looks like and what's the call to arms going forward? There are a lot of folks who are maybe still on the sidelines who are like, you know, this looks like a pivotal point. You know, maybe now I'm available. I wasn't before. You know, is as almost a recruiter in chief here, is the Legion still hiring and what do you need? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> the Legion
1: is definitely still hiring uh, because a lot of people who were plank owners, right? What we call the, you know, week one Legionnaires, the guys yeah. who got here in mid-March, uh, like when the, you know, the, the training base was struck by cruise missiles. And I'm just three guys I'm working with today were survivors of that attack. And I mean... They were in the barracks that got blown up. They were like blown out of their beds and things like that. Um, You know, that was a very different time. You know, no one knew what to really do. Guys were putting it together. Battalions were forming all over this country. And it took months and months of pain and, and to 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 do that. At one point, the legion was in a fixed position where they weren't doing anything. And apparently, you know, to people, they go, oh, we're not doing anything. Yeah, you're doing something. You're holding the line so that the Russians don't come through and knock down the eastern flank of the city. And they go, oh, OK, yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to explain it to soldiers sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but now with this offensive, they're on the attack and we got a lot of uh, legionnaires who had left that have returned. Uh, you know, the Legion has has two but two two elements. There's an infantry battalion, which is first battalion. And then there's a special forces battalion, uh, which has stood up uh, since summer, uh, which, you know, carries out special reconnaissance missions and direct attack missions and things like that and it's it's I, I put it this way it's less special forces more special operations right mm-hmm. we don't have 10 years of training and all that but the missions still require uh, the missions are exactly what a us o, you know special forces oda would carry out and there's several types here you know I mean, you have the ukrainian special operations command the special police units the sbu is like fbi's has their own special mission units and you know we work synergistically with, you know, the Ukrainian special forces, the alpha units that they have. And we, you know, for the offensive, we were in a very large formation with dozens of missions that were being carried out simultaneously. Um, you know, some missions, not a shot is fired because you're not going, if you shoot, bad, bad things will happen, right? It's mm-hmm. just There are places you don't want to be found. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be found because there's no Blackhawks coming for you. There's no helicopter mm-hmm. that'll zoom in and you know uh helo cast you and 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 fly you out. Uh you when you're behind the lines, you're there. And the Russians are all around you. So, but then there are those missions where, you know, we've had eight 10-hour gun battles. I mean, straight up Blackhawk downside stuff, you know, where where the, the most important element were the guys who had to run back to the pickups and, you know, grab belt-fed machine gun ammo or more frags or, or 40 millimeter and things like that. We don't have the luxuries of American war fighting. What's happening here is pure World War II, Battle of the Ardennes-style warfare, where tanks come at you with dismounted infantry and shoot at you, right? Or then they just call in that Artillery that they have. Russia's advantage in that is now withered and it's gone. And and back to the Nastradamus part of my my theme early on. You might recall that when I made my speech on April 18th, where I announced on Joy Reid's show that I had left MSNBC and I had joined the Legion, I left news media to join the Legion. And at the end of my speech, most people don't remember this, I made a personal request that no one knew about. The Ministry of Defense didn't know I was going to do it. Joy didn't know I was going to do it. And I said I have a note for President Biden we need the high mobility multiple rocket launch system and the yep. multiple rocket launch system. Yep. 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 And I said it was the first, I'm going to tell you, it was the first time HIMARS and MLRS had been even mentioned.
0: Yeah. In the yeah. Well, so I'm, glad you, I'm glad you brought that up because we talked about it last episode with, with Joe uh, Cerencioni We've huh. been, I've been highlighting it, you know, and, and now Biden just doubled the numbers sent. I think he sent four more this week. He keeps pouring them on. Right. And We're it seems more. like the HIMARS have been uh, a game changer. Right. I mean, I, I know the sports analogies are not fitting. We said like the high have been like a like an Aaron judge on this battlefield in the lab. Can you tell us from your perspective? We heard it from, you know, uh, from, from a strategic perspective, from almost an academic perspective from Joe. What have the, the high Mars meant for you guys on the ground?
1: Oh, Jesus. Oh, game changer. And I knew it. I knew it when they got the first two. Right. Things just things just people could feel that something was going on on the battlefield. By the time we got to like ammo dump number 10 blowing up, mm-hmm. you know, and I operated the brigade level as well as the tactical level. So um, there are assets allocated to you on the the strength of your priorities. Uh, we didn't have priority for a very long while, but we did have M777 artillery. But when, you, when these things come, HIMARS was used as a surgeon's scalpel to cut out all Russian artillery supplies. You can't kill every artillery piece, every gun, every launcher. You can't. There's just too many of them. You would have to use cluster munitions over a broad area. Hemar's is a scalpel. It's it's it, you know it's like it's like those computerized open heart scalpels. Mm-hmm. Right? Where the guy's there and mm-hmm. arms come down and cut open the chest and all you really want to do is nick a vein, right? And it will change the entire dynamic of this person's health. That's what Hemar's is. Only it's the opposite effect. Mm-hmm. When we aim at something and they blow it up, it will get blown up. Mm -hmm. It will not survive whatever is going on. I mean, Mm -hmm. the Antonovsky Bridge, um, all of the ammo dumps. Let me tell you, uh, Ukraine now has some capability with this, and they went about it smart. Desert Like like when Desert Storm happened, for example, a lot of people don't realize the reason that the Iraqis surrendered in 100 hours is because we starved them for a month. No trucks were allowed into Kuwait no food we targeted fuel trucks and water trucks right Mm. because guys in the desert need water well in ukraine artillery food trucks convoys i think they even held back on tanks for a little bit And it was just like they can't shoot guns if they don't have shells so what's the best way to get rid of the shells we go after the trucks no we're going to blow up every intermediate and front ammo dump we have. Where are those? Well, here, 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 and here. You know, there's still little old ladies that live near these things. And, you know, there's, there's loyalists all over the country. And there's the, I'd like to give a big shout out to National Geospatial Intelligence Agency for, you know, I don't know. I don't know for a fact whether we're using any of that stuff, but still.
0: I've been around. <laughs> Malcolm, Malcolm it's like um, you know, Very watching specific.
1: from
0: watching from the outside um, to see you know the HEMARS, HIMARS on on the battlefield, yeah. it, it seems to have a game-changing effect. It, it, similar to what we saw with IEDs. Yeah. Right? Like IEDs in the Iraq and Afghanistan, especially in Iraq, kind of changed the tempo, got inside right. people's heads, were really like the pivot one of the pivotal weapons of the battlefield. And and the HIMARS, HIMARS, however you say it, seem to be doing that. Let me ask you, you know, you're great at what's next. Um, If you could talk to Biden right now, if you could talk to the American people, (laughs) you're going back in the front lines. What do you need?
1: Well, see, I always put a caveat on this because I know everything that's coming over here is being used. If anybody tells you there's a giant Indiana Jones warehouse full of stuff that. It's not being used. They're liars, liars. Um, I saw a news clip. I want to say, well, let's let's go back a few weeks ago, you know, where somebody had taken a video near the Polish border of the um, of the the MRAP. Right. The mine resistant armored personnel carriers, you know, and. um, Within a day or two. I mean, these things are rolling. They're not on tank flatbed mm-hmm. carriers. They're on their wheels and rolling. Within a couple of days, I saw them. I was like, "Hey, <laughs> I just saw those on on YouTube." Yeah. Um, they go right to the front, and you know, I think when I saw them there, they didn't have weapons on them. And then when I saw them, it was clearly the same truck convoy. They had stopped. They had mounted weapons. These things go right to the front. The Ukrainians use and exhaust these weapons right away. Everything we send to Ukraine are consumables. Okay, there is nothing that is being stockpiled. So when artillery comes, it goes to a unit, it gets allocated, that stuff gets blown off. And hopefully the next shipment is there and they go through these logistics cycles. They're very good at their logistics here. And granted, we're giving them stuff, but these guys don't have Booz Allen Hamilton or Lockheed Martin or major defense contractors with tens of thousands of civilian truckers coming in here. This is taken by the Army. Their logistics command pass it over And they prioritize where they really need every round. Malcolm, can I can
0: I ask you to, as someone who's been highly critical of the military-industrial complex and the role of contractors in our American post-9/11 war, this is I hope a quick question: Is the way they do it better? Does it work better?
1: Yeah, this is Desert Storm level logistics. In Desert Storm, I'm going to give you two examples. In Desert Storm, um, when I needed a bandage. I went to a, a army, what we call a cache now, right? Combat surgical hospital. What was a mash? And these people were all mash reservists, Vietnam veterans, there had to be like ten thousand years of medical experience in this mash. Mm-hmm. And I actually wrote in my a note in my pocket, "Please take me to such and such mash at you know Um, um Naval Base or Raskalea Naval Base. Uh, you know, take me only to these guys." but that when i wanted a bandage the us army would provide me a case of 50, right the logis- there's actually a book written about this the logistics of desert storm were all handled by the us army and the army logistics command and was staffed almost principally by soldiers and us army civilians when i went to iraq in 2003 all right I tried that same thing. I went to a U.S. Army unit and I said, hey, you guys got any, you know, TQs, any, 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 any turning gauge, got any bandages? And they were like, I showed them an Israeli bandage. They didn't know what it was. It was so new. No, I'm sorry. I showed them a cravat from an old band, you know, old set. And they were like, well, we don't have that. We only have these Israeli bandages and they're only for us. And I was like, whoa, whoa, well, mm. don't you have a logistics tail? Same thing with food. Um, we had within days in Kuwait in 2000, uh, 2000, listen to me, 1991, we had tea rations, you know, we had tray first line rations being brought out and cooked with hot water by army personnel using army food trucks mm-hmm. yep. uh, or was allocated to us. I remember when those, you know, uh, those hungry man ready meals already pre-cooked showed up. It was heaven. Mm. this war i couldn't get a, an extra mre out of a soldier what's happening here in ukraine is closer to desert storm than than the modern uh you have to wait for the the logistics contractor to bring you the food, and they've hired a local, and they go to the dining facility right, and they pop right, it right, out. Right, right, no. Right, right.
0: no, no, no. no. Well, it's all. They're, it's you know, all. I go it's to the supermarket all, for my food if I have. It's all. Have. It's all one team, right? Instead of a Frankenstein's monster people yeah, of people with different I think you interests. Yeah, should go back right? to the old model. Yeah, Ma- Malcolm, I want to let you go, but I, one thing you you asked me to, to mention, I want to make sure we get time for it, is you're doing a fundraiser. Can you talk right. about that and how people can can help? Sure. Yeah. Um, so.
1: At Third Battalion Legion, uh, we're the we're the newest battalion. We we don't get the same allocations. I I've mentioned this before. People say, "Why are you guys raising money? Why? What is this? You know, uh, the, you know, the Rough Riders and the Spanish American War. You're gonna form your own regiment. It's not like that. We are regular line infantry uh, or special operations units attached to a line brigade, which is now on the attack and has been on the attack for some time now since these offensives have kicked off, and now the Russian line is collapsing. However, this has been a privately owned vehicle war since day one. If you want mobility beyond the basic capability that you're given, which could be a five-ton truck, and you won't see that five-ton truck for days because it's off doing other priorities, then you're going to walk. Well, people don't walk. The Ukrainians went home Bought their cars and people are running around, I'm not joking, on the battlefield in sedans, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them quite interestingly camouflaged. Mm-hmm. So um, but we learned very quickly in the world that I'm in. I, I actually made this proposal for the special operations battalion in early March before I became a legionnaire to one of the deputy ministers of defense. 20-man teams, special operations teams running around in five technicals. Um, and so We've managed to through donors like Rip Rawlings of Ripley's Heroes. Ripley's Heroes has been incredible for the Legion. They gave us a bunch of cars, our, our newest one, because we lost one to enemy fire. And he goes, I got one coming here for you. James Vasquez is going to bring it right out there. They camouflage it. It's all Gucci. It's with us right now. But we have we need more vehicles. And the kind of vehicles we need are real technicals with gun mounts. We rock M240B. You know, machine guns. You know, he- he- well, I wouldn't call them heavy machine guns, but heavy machine guns, and they need to have a pintle mount put on. Yeah. Them. That need they're
0: to heavy be if heavy you heavy have they're, they're heavy if you have to carry them. I've had to carry. Yeah,
1: they're them. <laughs> oh my god. But we we do carry them. I mean, some yeah. guys like the MG3 or the German, you know, yeah. machine gun or or the PK. So you yeah, so
0: we'll we'll oh. post a link and encourage yeah. folks to 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 support in whatever way they can. Oh. Yeah. And if, Well, let let me ask you this.
1: Tapestry.org, which is is my think tank.
0: Um, Say it again, Malcolm.
1: Tapestry, T-A-P-S-T-R-I dot O-R-G. And I'll link to it also
0: in the show notes, wherever you're listening to this podcast, folks. Malcolm, let me just ask you, uh, you know, before I came in here, my kids are home from school today uh, for Yom Kippur. And uh, I told them, I was like, guys, this is a big conversation. And they said, yeah, it's your friend at the war, right, Daddy? And I said, yes. This is, and, and my little boys are tracking on Ukraine. They know where you are. And we're not forgetting in, the, in this household, and I think among many of us in the country. Um, just as a, as a closing thought, and I hope you'll join us again. And I'm so happy you took this time. What do you think people need to know? If they only listen to, you know, one snippet of this interview, Malcolm Nance is a, is a, you know, a decorated American, a guy who we've trusted, you know, in the media for a lot of perspective and analysis. You know, you there aren't too many guys like you over there. I just want to emphasize that, too, you know, who can communicate this experience and, and have the, the profile that you do. What do you think Americans need to know right now about this?
1: Well, let me caution you a couple of things. For those of you who think that I'm tweeting about this, if you actually go through my timeline, I think I have six tweets in the last nine months with pictures of me. I, I think a couple of pictures, one, one video, two videos. The Russians tweet more about me than, than I tweet about. And they me.
0: did. Have, they, they had you on I mean, their, t- their national television, and they like called a you every week, every
1: yeah. show yeah. for a week, yeah. nonstop, because I'm the black guy who's NATO. Yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, if there was one thing that I want you to impart, I, and, and it goes to this raising funds, because we need to buy SAT phones. We need to buy uh, new vehicles and things like that. Everything that you do has real impact. Whether you're protesting, you know, those guys are out protesting at the Russian embassy in D.C. by putting pictures of NAFO, right? The slightly, Mm -hmm. what do they say, slightly brain damaged cartoon dogs, of which I have a character. I'm an early guy into NAFO. Um, But everything you do, all of your support really matters. And the most important support that matters is that you understand this is the eastern wall of democracy. And in a month mu- less is it a month? yeah, less than a month, you have a choice to decide whether the western mall of democracy crumbles, all right, into dictatorship by giving the Republicans the House of Representatives by being apathetic or lazy or feeling like someone else is going to vote and you're going to take care of it. I'm working this month with Democrats abroad, right? i I, I love you know, going around with Americans who live overseas. When I lived overseas in the United Arab Emirates, I was a big DA fan. Uh, I did voter registration in Paris. They really pulled out hundreds and hundreds of thousands of votes in 2020. I mean, just like the greatest voting period of people overseas in American history. Well, you've got that opportunity too, because this wall here in the East will collapse. If all of the funding stops, you see Marjorie Taylor Greene, all these other morons out there who are saying Zelensky is a corrupt Nazi, you know, dictator. And we're like, you live on another planet. OK, Zelensky the president you all wish you had. It's young Joe Biden. So, you know, and Biden's doing great. He's he's giving us everything that we need. You know, we don't get support by the people who know that it's going okay, who know that the economy is good, who know that if they don't come out and take their family out and their friends out in a
0: month, this will all go away. Malcolm, can I ask you to put the, Nostrad- the Nostradamus hat on one last time here to, as we wrap it up? Um, how does this end? How does this uh, end if I bring you back on in, in uh, six uh, months? Um, and again, I know there are multiple scenarios, and we've talked to Joe Serencione about the, the the nuke options that are at you know, Putin's disposal from, you know, a test all the way up. But how does this end? And, and to include, you know, you have a reasonable understanding of inside of Russia as well. You know, what do you see uh, unfolding inside Russia you know, in, in the weeks and months to come?
1: If you have time, go find the video clip of me where I speak from um, uh, a site and I, I talk at the Davos Economic Forum that four Ukrainian soldiers, I mm-hmm. represented the legion. And somebody asked me that. They go, put your Nanstradamus hat on. What's going to happen? And I, I whipped out a wild one, right? But based on what I was seeing, what I was feeling from the ground, I said, Russian combat power will collapse in September. They will not be able to withstand an offensive. They will not be able to withstand us. They will break in September. And they were like, whoa, I think this was June and i i just i just felt it and then you know when we started seeing things move on the ukrainian side even russian bloggers were seeing it i kept thinking this isn't going to be a slugfest this is going to be a sledgehammer against a pane of glass very thin glass because the russians have no no agency here they have no reason to be here they don't want to be here. And, you know, when it's he Marzo clock, o'clock and we precision destroy everything you value, all of your most sophisticated faces, all of your command posts, and then tanks show up by the hundreds and you don't have anything, you barely have food. You know, I mean, they just abandoned everything wholesale for their and ran for their lives. Unfortunately, two unfortunate Russians who were in an observation post got overrun so quickly. Instead of surrendering, they jumped into someone's stolen Lada, literally, and uh, and tried to run. And, you know, the first two that I had seen that were killed were just freshly killed on the side of the road just a few minutes before. And we were like. You could have surrendered. Mm -hmm. And now you'd be eating, you know, shawarma with us and, uh, you know, having a cup of tea and your war would be over and your mother would be fine. So what's next? I'm going to make a very fundamental, simple statement that I made. I believe it was February 18th ish on MSNBC when I was on with Chris Jansing, and. and and then two days after the war started, Ukraine is going to win this war. They are winning this war. They have been winning this war since the first few weeks of the war. Russia just presented themselves as a target. And when I say win, I'm going to say exactly what I've said on air before. We will kick the Russians out of out of. The two provinces they stole in 2014, Donetsk, Luhansk, uh, I haven't checked my watch. They may already have collapsed. I know most of Kherson province has collapsed in the last day. And the Russians are now trapped. As many as 25,000 men may have to surrender or be given, you know, a little leeway to run without any of their heavy weapons or even their rifles. Um, and, you know, Zaporizhia will be next. and um, As you know, if you watch Denis Danilov on YouTube, who's my favorite analyst because he's Ukrainian, he's here. He uses a very dynamic map that's very accurate. Um, Nothing looks good for Russia. We're already clearing up to the Russian border and all these places that a few weeks ago were solid Russian. Mm-hmm. Um, They may find that the their their dream of Donetsk Luhansk. And even Crimea is within reach. The only question is, I'm sure you talked about this with Joe Cirincione, is what level of madness will the Russians reach for? Um, ChemBio, will they whip out a chemical weapon? Will they whip out biological weapons? There's something we haven't seen in mass. Will suddenly, you know, cholera break out in Kharkiv Mm -hmm. in tens of thousands of people simultaneously after an airburst shell goes up? The Russians have this capability. If they use a nuclear weapon, I'm sure Joe mentioned this, it goes to Russia. It will literally fall back over your children. Mm. Um, you know, and you wouldn't even imagine the wildness of the Cossacks at that point. Mm. At well, that think, point, you know, old grandpas who are older than me, and I'm pretty old. I'm 61, I'm the oldest guy in the Legion. Uh will get, you know, go out and get their, their skinning knives for deer hunting and uh it'll be literally wild cossack time
0: mm. well you you you're definitely representing well for 61 year olds oh, uh God. for for new I york my <laughs> ammo baby i hope my two ammo cans. Even, <laughs> for, even
1: some young guys i've had to pick up their cans for you,
0: you're representing for uh, our home state of new york you're representing for america you're representing for ukraine and for freedom and you've been you know a towering inspiration and you know at a time when I think we're looking for leadership and we're looking for people who are willing to, to to walk the walk. You know, there aren't too many people who put down, you know, a, a TV gig and, and, and a cushy life and go fight a war and you doing it. And I think it's really important. And I'm grateful that you keep joining us on the show. I hope next time we talk, Putin is gone. And, I, and that's my prediction is I think it could happen a lot faster than people think. He could be dead. He could be captured. He could be running. And I hope that we're we're celebrating that moment when you get on the show again, if not, if not sooner, my friend.
1: Well, when the one year anniversary comes, I hope to be home (laughs) and I hope the overwhelming majority of this country. I I really feel the overwhelming majority of Ukraine will be liberated. Uh, And if you guys can help us, tapestry.org, please make a donation. We have an enormous number of satellite phones we have to get. And, you know, and. uh, we don't buy Red Bull with it. We use our own money for <laughs> Red Bull. <laughs> if
0: you need Red Bull at 61, you drink it, man. And, and until then. Sometimes it's our only meal. You know what? I'm not joking. Well, well, then I'm going to get you a case of Red Bull. And, until no, then, my I friend. It again. <laughs> thank you for all you're doing. Um, please let the guys and gals out there know that we've got their back. Um, I, I know you'll stay vigilant more than anybody we've had on this show. In Slava, Ukraine. Horem uh, Slava. Thank you, my friend. The man drops bombs. I'm telling you, every time he joins us, he drops bombs. And Malcolm Nance is the real deal. He told you about it, but be sure to check it out in the show notes. Check out tapstri.org. Tapstree has been on the ground in ukraine covering the unfolding war and he will continue to tell you ways that you can help support the fight and where you can donate to help his unit and help the legion so check him out in the show notes or tapstree.org. as malcolm shared millions of ukrainian people have been displaced they've left their homes cities their country and you can help so check out the relief page and join malcolm and if this is the first time you've heard him on the show Or the sixth time. One thing is clear. He is a true helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers. You know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. The helpers are out there. We see it every day, no matter how bad things are getting. So look for the helpers, and I'll continue to post them on social media. So follow me on every single platform. I use the hashtag look for the helpers, and I posted a story this week that I saw from my friend, First Sergeant Perry Jeffries down in Texas. He posted a story from KWTX in Texas, and it is a powerful one about an unlikely, unexpected helper. Here's the story. When I was trying to go to bed, it was all I could think about. And this morning, it was all I could think about. 17-year-old Ava
1: Donigan keeps replaying Saturday Night in her head. I had never even heard gunshots, so that was, was a whole new situation for me. Donigan was in the car with her boyfriend, stopped at a red light, when they found themselves in the middle of a crime scene.
0: I saw the cop get out of the car, and then I saw him get shot a few times. Her car was just in front of the shooter's truck, so they ducked, and called 911. Somehow I blinked my eye and the cop who was shot was right in front of my car. The officer
1: had been shot in the shoulder and the wrist and came to her window asking for help with his tourniquet. He
0: told me that it was completely numb and his hand was completely limp.
1: Donegan says she helped put his tourniquet on, get his vest off, and use his radio to call it in.
0: When I realized he needed help, it all was instincts. Even though it was scary, she says she's glad she was able to help. I'm just glad that he is okay. I think that gives me a good peace of mind. As Ava Donaghan, 17 years old, she was a helper. She is a helper and helpers like her are out there. They're stepping up every single day. Check the hashtag, look for the helpers on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook and share yours and I'll share them with others. And while you're on social media, be sure to play guest the guest every Wednesday. This was a really good one. Malcolm was a lot of fun, and I posted his fella's picture, his fella, his fella. If you don't know what that is, hold on, I'll tell you more. But tons of you got it. Joanna Hammond in Cecilia, Kentucky. Robert Land, Bzig 477 you got it again. Fly Vape and Pick, got it. Man, you guys got some crazy Twitter handles, and this is a tough thing to do, but I try to make sure I read them and give you a holler. Amir Hadzik in Wildwood, Missouri. Kirk Bushko in Phoenix, Arizona. Orc Christ 86, you got it. Mistress of the Deep, all you wrote was, ooh, ooh, I know, I know. Mistress of the Deep, who helps out Malcolm and his team. You got it. Kirkery got it. H. Markian got it. Floor rinse got it. Will McNulty, my old friend Will McNulty from Team Rubicon, he came close. He guessed I am the Warax. If you don't follow I am the Warax, you should. You know the Lorax who speaks for the trees. Well, I am the Warax speaks for the veterans. He's kind of a legend on Twitter, and that legend from Fairfax, Virginia, was not who it was, but he did get it. I am the Warax chimed in, "What's up, Warax?" And he said, "Nah, that's Malcolm Nance. I recognize that mug anywhere." I am the War Axe, and many of you who got it right are part of NAFO. And if you don't know, NAFO is the North Atlantic Fella Organization. want to give a big shout out to all the fellas out there. If you don't know what NAFO is, you can check out the hashtag, or you can become a Patreon member and hear my exclusive extended conversation with Malcolm Nance about what it means to be a fella. What is a fella? The fellas were recently recognized by Zelensky. They've become an international phenomenon. And I talked to Malcolm about it. It's in the exclusive content that's available just for our Patreon members. You can become a Patreon member if you go to independentamericans.us. Please join us there. You can also see video of my conversation with Malcolm. You can see him inside his bunker in his camouflage. You can also see the latest in my apartment. Not so much exciting going on there, but I continue to unpack boxes. My boys were home on break. And you can check out all the videos of this conversation and all the others on our YouTube channel. And, of course, at independentamericans.us. Please also be sure to give us a review. Many of you have been doing that. And thanks to you sharing the love and sharing the word about this show, we continue to make the podcasting charts in America and around the world. We are now number 96 in the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago. That was something I learned this week, but we continue to make the charts and climb the charts in Trinidad and Tobago and around the world, thanks to all of you. So thank you for continuing to spread the word. Thank you to all our Patreon members, especially Denise Kipschel, who said she likes to look at my bunker, and all the rest of you that are dropping bombs for us on Patreon and spreading the word. Thanks to you. We continue to bring the five eyes in all our podcasts and everything we do. You know what that means. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And the murderer's row of our team, the real Bronx Bombers, the Righteous Media team, continues to make it possible. Creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, and precise Paula Hernandez. And as always, my wife and my amazing two boys.
1: When I
0: was getting ready this week, to record this interview with Malcolm. My boys were home for the day. They head off from New York City schools because it's Yom Kippur. They've had off a lot lately for lots of holidays, but I told them I was recording for an important show and they know what that means now. And I told them that I needed them to be quiet for a half an hour or so to watch some Sesame Street or some Magic School Bus because I was gonna talk to a friend who was in a very special place, a very important place, a very dangerous place. And they both kind of stopped and looked at me. And they sat on the bed and my older son said to me, is he in Ukraine, daddy? And I said, yes, buddy, he's in Ukraine. And they understood what that meant. Even at age three and age seven, they understand what's happening in Ukraine on some level. And they understand it's important. And they understand there are children like them that are there right now. Because the story of war and especially the story of children in war is one that lasts forever. It's eternal, like this song about war. My mother's
1: breaking, heart is over. In January 15,
0: 2018, the legendary Cranberries lead singer Dolores O'Riordan was set to reprise her iconic vocals on this song. That day. She tragically left the world. And in her memory, this band, Bad Wolves, released the song and donated the proceeds to her kids. And Tommy Vex of Bad Wolves wrote her lyrics, Confronting the collateral damage of political unrest, Captured the same sentiment we wanted to express a quarter century later. That is a testament to the kind of enduring artist Dolores was and will remain forever. This is that song. And that song is about the pain of war that is eternal and will last forever. My kids are safe from the bombs. And if you're listening to this, your kids are probably safe from the bombs, too. Unless you're in Ukraine. In Ukraine, their kids are never safe until the bombs stop dropping, until the missiles stop hitting, until the artillery stops firing. And we can all do more to make that happen in ways that are big and ways that are small because nobody made a greater mistake than he or she who did nothing because they could only do little. We see that in Ukraine and supporting Ukraine and all around the world. Bombs are dropping, but so is the inspiration. And I say it all the time. Hope is the oxygen of democracy. And the people of Ukraine continue to show it. The people of Iran continue to show it. The people of Afghanistan continue to show it. People inside Russia continue to show it. And the people of America continue to show it. Because especially when the bombs are dropping, we're all in this together. So stay vigilant, my friend because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom and know you're not alone in your vigilance we're all vigilant and we're all in this bunker together from John Sterling to Michael Kay from Babe Ruth to Roger Maris to Aaron Judge from the Gap Band to Bad Wolves to the Cranberries from all the fellas in NAFO to Malcolm Nance to you I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Putin, Slava Ukraini, and stay vigilant, America. Powered Power. by Righteous Media.